the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Looking for strategies to help you protect your portfolio in these uncertain times? Visit RobBlack.com. RobBlack.com. Powered by EP Wealth. I'm Rob Black talking all things financial. Thanks for listening to the show. Anything you want to talk about, we can talk about. Pick up the phone. Call. Give me a call. Uh, pick up the phone. Give me a call. 800-516-1220. Oh, there's still so many topics I can play with right now. And one of them that I want to hit on really briefly is new year, new guarantee. There are no guarantees, right? We are moving into 2023, month of January. It's expected that we'll have a recession by the end of the year, whether it's short or deep, or do we avert it all together? I don't want to say experts are saying one third say we're going to miss it due to the strong jobs that we have in the United States. One third of analysts say we're going to hit a short recession. One third say it's going to be a long, deep recession. Sometimes it feels like that when you turn on and off the TV. How can you position yourself in that scenario? You can position yourself, in my opinion, by doing your homework, checking your investments, making sure the reasons you bought it are still there. If you have an income fund, is it still paying income? If you have an income stock, is it still got the characteristics that you like? Like there's one company that I like to talk about, and this is going to make you laugh, I hope. TJ Maxx. And do you remember the commercial for Ross and it's Father's Day? And I remember it maybe because I'm a father. Or what else? The commercials are annoying. There's a Father's Day commercial that goes like this. It goes, it's Father's Day coming up. And it's the mom's talking to her daughter. And and she the mom says to her daughter, says, what are we going to get dad for Father's Day? And the daughter goes, we're going to get him a tie. And the mom says, we're going to Ross. We're definitely going, and in the whole commercial turns into we're definitely going to Ross. And I honestly think it's the worst commercial ever made. And I bring it up because TJ Maxx is that kind of Ross kind of play. A lot of people like TJ Maxx as an investment. You can go after Target, you can go after Walmart, you can go after Costco. They all have very similar characteristics that I find attractive. They always seem to be busy. And they all pay dividends. Now, you can go, I like this company. I like Walmart. Or I like, I could go, but I like Target. It's not a game. It's it's not like I have to impress you and beat you. I'm, I'm not going to hold a gun to your head and say, you know, pick one, pick one now. And I think sometimes people feel like it's a, it's a, you have to be right. And I, I really don't think you do. 
you just have to play the game correctly. And again, there is there's something to be said for what we're saying here. Um, I don't want to totally downplay it. But when you go into a TJ Maxx, and this is something weird for me to say, I learned many, many, many years ago, it's kind of a game. I, I dated a wonderful woman named Juliet, and she was really, really stylish. And we were in our 20s. She might be the one that got away. You know what I'm saying? Um, she was starting a company. I was starting a company. There was that going on. We were just too busy. And we didn't have a lot of money. We had a lot of fun. We did a lot of dating. We we, we went to Miami. We went, we went to concerts. I met her at a concert. I know you're saying, tell me how you met her, please. It's really embarrassing. I saw the most beautiful woman out of like 2,000 people. And I stood four rows behind her. And every time she'd turn around and look at the exit or something, I kind of made sure we made eye contact. So in her head, she was like, oh, there's a guy that I keep making eye contact with. Like, I know you're saying that was your game. That was pretty pathetic. But we dated for a long period of time. And she was incredibly stylish. And she did this weird thing. And men agree with me if you understand this. Women agree with me if if you've been through this. Every night at 10 o'clock when she'd go to bed, she would look at her closet for 30 minutes. And she would visualize what she was going to wear the next day. She's a graphic designer. So in theory, she was working with a lot of people who were well put together, well designed, good imaging, good. You tend not to meet graphic designers who are like old worn out t-shirts, if you know what I'm saying. But when she would go shopping, like, I was like, you don't have a budget for expensive clothes because like you're starting your own company at one. Well, she started as a graphic designer for another company and eventually she starts her own company. And um, she would go shopping and she'd get like TJ Maxx and she'd get like, you can get a $80 sweater for 20 bucks. And this isn't a case where it turns into like a Homer Simpson where Marge comes home and she goes, oh, Homer, look, I got a $4,000 pair of shoes that were 18000 And the joke for Homer is like, oh, they're $4,000. Julia was able to pull off incredible style by going to TJ Maxx and a couple other stores, of course. She liked going thrift shopping. You know what I like doing? I like going thrift shopping. You find some crazy nice stuff that have never, ever been worn. You can find, I think the coolest thing that I ever saw going thrift shopping was a coffee, an espresso machine that I knew cost over $1,000. That was going for $25 because the thrift shop didn't know it. And it was never used. Here's a goofy, goofy, goofy thing to say. If you're going thrift shopping, don't go to Stockton's thrift shop. Go to Palo Alto's. Go to somewhere in a rich county like Marin. Because um, wealthy people tend to buy stuff. That, like, for instance, for instance, uh, when my kids were younger, one of the things I wanted to teach them was skiing and snowboarding. And you're going to say, why? That, that sounds pretty snobby of you, Rob. When I was in college, I could barely ski and I hated it. My friends would go skiing and I would like do the pizza pie down the, the, uh, the pizza slice down the, the hills. And my friends would do black diamonds and like be like Susie Chapstick, come down side to side to side to side. Um, where is this going? This is still about TJ Maxx. Um, but yeah, I, I would get my kids winter coats that were basically brand new. 
and ski pants that were basically brand new from the Palo Alto thrift store. Um, it's shocking what you can find. It was kind of funny because out of the four people who bought four people in my family, we'd go to the thrift store and we get four winter jackets. I got a nice one. My kids got a nice one. My, my wife, because for some reason, women don't give up their nice clothes as easily as men do. So you've got this nasty old schleppy, dirty winter jacket. And we have pictures and it's pretty funny because we all look stylish and she doesn't. There's no shame in going to a thrift store. There's no shame going to a TJ Maxx that sells things off the sh- uh, last year's styles. Things are just in a sell well for a pretty big discount. Now, again, do I think they're all great deals? No, I think you have to be a good shopper. I think that's one of the area where women historically beat men. Is, I'm not going to say something cliche that's going to get me in trouble. But we grew up in a society where women like to go to malls together. We go up like shopping as a date for girls, whereas guys are like, let's watch football and drink a beer. It's cliche. It's it's overused. But you get the idea. Being a good shopper can take you a long way to creating wealth, especially in your 20s. Juliet was a great shopper. She looked great doing it. I'm Rob Black talking all things financial. Brought to you by EP Wealth. This is the Rob Black Show. So when I started this industry 25 years ago, I go back and sometimes I look at my notes. And... I've kept every set of show notes that I've I created. It's a weird thing to say, but there's websites like Google and Yahoo where you can keep documents forever, it feels like. Not a lot of pictures, not a lot of videos in my notes, if you know what I'm saying. So I never go over the storage limits. And, you know, through time, I at one point in time, I'm like, this is going to be valuable. And I don't know why. A little bit of a pack rat when it comes to notes, right? Fortunately, they're all online. They're not in my office. But my thought was, my, someone's going to want to see this, like, or maybe I'll use it for a historical uh, concept, uh, context. And let, let me give you an example. I recently looked back and I looked at McDonald's, and there was an annual report that I took some notes from that no two no two countries had ever gone to war that had McDonald's, and that was like an interesting little footnote, and it, it made for good radio, right? I like McDonald's as a long term patient investor. Um. It's not going to get you crazy rich because we all know what it is. It's not a secret. There's no artificial intelligence platform. There's no web 2.0. There's nothing. There's no FTX currency. There's nothing amazing going on there. It's pretty generically bad food. That's overly processed. That is cheap calories. No two countries had ever gone to war that had McDonald's. And I think that finally got broken. Um, it wasn't Iran. But we clearly know now that, that Russia's gone to war with Ukraine and they both have McDonald's, right? So that's definitely broken. But 25 years ago, that was one of my talking points of like, this is one of the reasons you want to own it. Not the reason to own it, but an interesting fact about a company that you might want to own. When you take a look at McDonald's, again, this shows you how easy money can be, right? And I just want to make this case. I'm now 50 years old plus. And I'm embarrassed to say I didn't buy McDonald's 50 years ago because I could have. But let's let, let's historically go with something a little bit more like this was the 1990s when I started my radio career. And McDonald's was a $23 stock then. It's now a $264 stock. That is an amazing return. 
in Bagger Plus, right? Doesn't happen often. Takes a long time to do it. Stop pays a 2.2% dividend yield. Okay, that's nice. I feel the stock is always expensive. I feel if you buy it today, you're going to regret it for the next 12 months. But especially if a disease like Mad Cow comes or they're dealing with higher egg costs for breakfast right now, just like you and me are. They're not exactly going out and jacking out their price for an egg McMuffin, but they're dealing more for eggs. It's an incredibly stupid investment. Um, for my kids, I, I, I put away some money every year because I'm trying to lower my tax bill when I die. And I would buy the McDonald's. And it's funny because when I became a parent, I'm like, I'm never going to take my kids to McDonald's. That food's processed and salty. It'll kill you. And then you go on your first road trip. I'm going to take my kid to the beach. And a three-hour drive to the beach turns into, oh, my God, he just pooped his diaper. Where are we going to stop? Oh, my God, he's freaking out. He wants out of the car. He's totally happy going to McDonald's and, like, crawling around one of those jungle gyms. It's a very, very weird thing to admit to. Ten years ago on my phone, I had the McDonald's app so I could find McDonald's that had playgrounds. I would have no shame buying it for them. I'm not trying to get them rich quickly. I'm not trying to get them the best price. Uh, they buy 100 share, or let's say we buy one share at $264. They're going to get $6.08 every year in a dividend. That's pretty good. I like you a lot. My kids are growing up. Uh, my oldest boy has a girlfriend that he doesn't hold her hand. He doesn't kiss her. He's gone, he's gone as far as hug. I think that's called a foul ball as far as first base, second base goes, right? It's cute. I'd rather him be cute right now than worry about investments. So he, I might buy him shares at McDonald's later today just to give you an idea. Because he doesn't, he's not going to need the money for 10 years, 20 years, 30 years, 40 years. And he's going to look back and say, 40 years ago, my dad bought it for me. It's gone up tenfold. And every year it's going to pay a dividend. For now, he doesn't need cash. That comes out of my wallet. I'll reinvest the dividend for him. There is no shame in buying something that you're ashamed to admit isn't great food. And yet we've all had an Egg McMuffin on, on the go. Uh, if you know what I mean. So it's 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 really funny that I'm saying this because I'm almost I'm blushingly embarrassed. We all know McDonald's, right? What the hell was Grimace? I still have nightmares about Grimace. Um, and the uh, you know the egg, the McDonald's rap songs that through the years as they've tried to be hip, their commercials. Uh, let's do a rap song. And no, 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 no. It's not. We all know it. And yet we'll say, I'm going to drive around that investment because I'm embarrassed by it. I'm not. I have no shame. I guess today's point of the show is no shame, Rob Black. I got a little bit of a muffin. I don't have a six pack. I'm fine with that. I hate all of you that do. Naturally, I'm cool with people who work out a lot. I'm like, ah. For 30 years, fast food icon turned meat, bread and potatoes into a display of capitalism in Russia. Then Putin invaded Ukraine and McDonald's had to pull out of Russia. It's truly crazy what we saw. A powerful brand symbol. In Russia, McDonald's was a tourist draw. Russia's first location for many years, the world's busiest. 
It was a store. The world's busiest McDonald's was in Russia. It was opened in Pushkin Square in 1990 when the plaza was still Soviet. Um, again, this goes back to my notes where Billy Joel went to Russia and played a concert. We didn't start the fire. And Russia started when they'd be interviewing Billy Joel because I think it was an HBO special. I'm pretty sure that was an HBO special. And I remember some of the interviews of Russian fans like, we love Billy Joel. That's a horrible Russian accent, right? Blue jeans, blue jeans, Billy Joel, Coca-Cola, McDonald's. I have no problem owning McDonald's or Coca-Cola. And Levi's made by, I would consider, I've never actually thought that out loud. But now that I think about it, I'm, I'm thinking I should look at it for my kids. Does Levi's and McDonald's and Coca-Cola have uh, Web 2.0? Nope. Um, the McDonald's in Moscow was a two-story. Like, it was crazy. Anyhow, um, I guess the point of the segment was have no shame in where you take your kids to decompress on a long road trip. And have no shame considering that as an investment because we all know it. What's the best way to choose a financial advisor? Download our guide at robblack.com. That's robblack.com. Powered by EP Wealth. This show has a lot of experimentation in it. If you ever have ideas of what you want me to tackle, don't be shy. Send it off to me. In no way, shape, or form do I feel I have to do a type of show. A beautiful thing about working with CFP Chad Burton, the new focus for 20 of the last 25 years, or yeah, twenty roughly 22 years that we sold to EP was he let me be me. And when we decided to sell to EP, because EP has so many cool services, that they let me be me. And that was part of the terms. I, I said I could be the front-facing part of your business to consumers. You have people that could be the front-facing part of the business to wealthy people. I want to be the front-facing to average people. It was a very, very weird thing to say out loud. They let me do it. You're saying, why did you sell to EP? Um, because Chad and I put together a team of about 10, 15 people. Sometimes it grew up to like 12. Sometimes it went back down to 10. Sometimes it would get to 13. And it got to a point where it was just too difficult to keep hiring people. And it didn't let me be me. It didn't let him be him. He's the greatest financial planner I've ever met because he gets it. He understands every situation's different. Every family's different. I would say things on air like, well, yeah, when you meet a financial planner, you know, um, Show them your kids. Show them pictures of your kids so that they, they get you, that you're not just a dollar symbol to them. Um, it's a very weird thing to say. I'm not, I'm not busting on anyone in any way, shape, or form when I say that. Show people the true you. Show people what you care about. Um, EP did things or does things that I can't do, like charitable planning, Medicare planning, uh, retirement savings plan, check. I can do that. Employer stock option analysis, check. I can do that. Estate plan review, nope. That's with attorney partnerships. You constantly have to make uh, attorney relationships in this industry, or you hire them in house. And I didn't. We couldn't hire them in house. Um, it was just too much work to hire. I know that sounds like a weird thing to admit to, but business planning, tax planning, real estate investment analysis, college education planning, property and casualty insurance reviews. This is all what EP does. It is so deep as far as services. It was a no-brainer to me. I was like, I can talk about all this, but I can't do it. 
social security analysis, next generation planning. Um, when I talk about my kids on the air, I'm trying to tell you that's about next generation planning. <clears throat> when Steve Jobs says, I'm not leaving any money to my kids or very small amounts kind of thing, that's next generation planning. And <clears throat> I want my kids to be great human beings. I was listening to an interview yesterday um, with one of the, she's a African-American actress and she was on Mark Marin's show. And this was late evening. <clears throat> and she said something amazing. She grew up in the deep South. She's been in hundreds of movies and TV shows. And he interviewed, it was Octavia Spencer and she grew up in Alabama and she goes, I never felt racism. They were talking about racism and how the South is well known for racism. She goes, Mark, I never felt it where I grew up. Um, and when you see the actress, you'll know who she is. She's an amazing actress and she's been hundreds of points. She always plays, plays the nurse. She's like, I played the baby nurse. I played nurse number one. And she goes, I've played every nurse part. She goes, it wasn't until I came to California that I felt racism. And she goes, I went into a store in Beverly Hills and they followed me. Um, <clears throat> I don't know why I brought that up. <laughs> oh, what was that? Oh, 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 yeah. yeah it's about children. Um, and she goes, they were talking about racism. And she goes, I feel pretty comfortable where we are as the country right now. She goes, because kids are in charge. And she goes, anytime anything great happens in history, it's young people who do it. It's young people who make the change. It's not old people. And that's what I want to do in my estate planning with my children, my next generation planning, is I want them to be advocates for people who need help. So if they want to be a civil rights attorney and, and make dirt on a case, Daddy's money is going to help pay their apartment. Daddy's money is going to help pay their you know, food costs. Daddy will be long dead, but I want them to be activists. I want them to care. Um, I'm not Steve Jobs. Or I, hey, my kids get nothing. Your kids got a lot, Steve. Let's be honest. Um, yes, they may not get a billion dollars, but they got a lot. And I, I really dug Octavia Spencer. She's a great interview. And I, I, I've grown to like Mark Maron. I think he's a funny comedian at times, but he's a really serious and heavy comedian. If you ever watch him on Netflix, I think he is a brilliant, smart comedian. And that's sometimes tough to digest. It's not like, ha, 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 ha. You know, he's not doing a lot of wife jokes. My wife is so, you know, he's not that guy. He's talking about corporate greed and he's talking about, you know, being heartbroken. Uh, I think his podcast is one of the better podcasts. So what's your favorite podcast? Um, let me know. I'd like to hear. I was sitting yesterday having lunch and uh, I got introduced as having one of the top business podcasts. And I was like, don't, please don't tell people that. Please don't tell people that. Like I'm embarrassed. And uh, so my instant thing was to this guy who's suddenly admiring me, like I'm famous. I said, uh, What's your favorite podcast? And he shared with me and I was like, let me share with you mine. And um, I love that kind of stuff. One of the best things I ever did in college was I waited tables. And um, when I started my business, I did anything I could in the evening to help fund what I wasn't making money in the day. And I'd always ask everyone, what's your favorite book? That was my go-to question when I was at work. Um, so there's a waiter and I've already forgotten his name now. It's been 25 years. I asked him what his favorite book was. And he told me it was the depth of trilogy by Robertson Davies. 
I'm like, okay, okay. I don't know anything about it. What's it? What's, what's that about? And he goes, well, first and foremost, he's an old Canadian guy. I'm like, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm picking up. You're, you like Canadians are different than American writers. I get it. And he goes, it's, it's three stories. It's a trilogy. It's a big set of books. Um, it's the Christmas gift that I gave to my spouse the first year that I know her. I said, these are the most important books I've ever read. And she, she goes like, where did you find them? I was like, yeah, there was a waiter when I was in college who told me it was his favorite book. And I've gotten some pretty good recommendations. I read two to three books a week. Um, I'm consummate. Like I, I don't have friends, right? You know that. I, I have a couple of friends. But the Death Road Trilogy was, was three books. It was the first scene in book one. It's in a Canadian small village. And this is an incredibly painful read. Because it talks about how slow life was, not how exciting life was, not nothing fun, slow. And it was about two boys who were out playing in the snow. And one of them's the main character of the first book. And you're like, okay, okay, I'll pick it up. And uh, his friend packs a rock and a snowball. And he throws it at the main character. And the main character ducks. And it hits a woman who's pregnant who slips in the ice and uh, gives birth to a child like three months early. So the child's tiny. First book is about the guy who ducked. Second book is about the kid of the man who threw the snowball. And the third book's about the kid who came out early. Um, as far as main character, and it is the best thing ever. And I bring that up because I want my kids to ask each other, what's your favorite book? I, I don't want them worrying about like, you know, who's president and how much money do we need to save? And it, those are issues I don't want them thinking about. I want them to be good human beings. So, Knowing that EP Wealth has things like pension analysis and social security analysis and next generation planning and debt analysis, insurance analysis, employee benefits, those are all important things. I get paid and I usually give the money to charity or I say, you don't have to pay me. So I, I work for free when a company, um, like a big credit card company in the Bay Area, Visa, says, can you come talk to our employees about our employee benefits? Because legally, the HR department's not allowed to. I'm like, sure. And I'm like, let me see your benefit package and I'll, I'll read through it. And I'll say, tell me about your employees. And they're like, well, we have baby boomers. We've got Gen X. We have millennials and they're all different. I'm like, well, let's do three different seminars because I could talk to them all differently. And that's what we did. And we approached it in, in a very intelligent manner of, um, let me look at the benefits. And like, I was noticing the millennials. I'm like, you know, you have a, uh, if you have a baby, or if you need fertility, they, they pay for fertility treatments here. So that's a pretty good benefit. Or if you adopt, it's $3,000 that they'll give you for adopting a kid, they like helping you with the financial process of adopting. So I, I looked at the benefits from, you know, if somebody with a baby boomer does, probably doesn't need that, right? They're 60 years old. Um, so I looked at their benefits and I kind of explained to them what they were and a uh, very generous company visa, by the way, and a, a great long-term investment. You know, now I'm talking about things like McDonald's for my kids' investments and Coca-Cola for my kids' investment. If it's good enough for Warren Buffett, it's good enough for me or good enough for my kids. I think it's really, really important to have these thoughts in your head of how to approach things generationally. I want my kids to, to be life changers. And it doesn't have to be like they don't have to solve the civil rights problem in America. They need to be the best husband, the best father, the best friend. Maybe they're civil rights attorneys. I don't know. But that's my next generation planning. I want to gift them not so much money that they can play video games all day, 
but enough money that they can pay their bills and pursue whatever makes them happy. If my son is named the best veterinarian of a county or they're like, uh, when he's like 70 years old, people come up to him and they go, uh, Zach, you were the, uh, you, you gave birth to all the kids in this county seen from field of dreams, right? Midnight, midnight Jones or whatever his name was. Um, he didn't play baseball. He got to play one game. He never got to get up to head. I want my kids to fulfill the dreams of other people. And I think that's important when you start thinking about next generation planning. So I'm stoked that EP lets me get in front and talk about how great of a company they are because they are. Um, so do come out to a seminar when we have them. We're having one in February. We're having one in March. You, you get the idea. You can learn more about Rob Black Show at robblackshow.com. Uh, we cover a lot of content about getting you to retirement. Thank you so much. Tell a friend. Tell someone your favorite book. Pass it on. I'm Rob Black talking all things financial. Tell me what your favorite book is. Rob at robblackshow.com. Questions about Social Security? Check out the Social Security Retirement Guide at robblack.com. That's robblack.com, powered by EP Wealth. Let's take a look at some of the headlines out there today. Coca-Cola CEO, he talks, and when he talks, it's a big product. It's well spread out, diversified throughout the world. He's saying the consumer's still doing well. There's an increase in mobility in China. Commodity price pressures have been slightly reduced. It expects inflation pressures will continue to soften. That is a good formula for Wall Street because not as Coca-Cola goes, so goes inflation. But it's definitely one of the components or one of the ideas in there. Amazon target lowered to 125 today from 145. What I liked about this upgrade downgrade is it talks about Amazon Web Services. It talks about growth of about 18%, where retail margins will hit break even during 2023. Um What's interesting about it is it's their favorite name. It's their top internet mega cap long idea with highly asymmetric risk reward. They see $85 as a downside, $125 as upside. They like those odds. That's an interesting thing to say because it's not something that comes out of my mouth easy. We're going to be talking with Tony Mendez in just a minute, talking about mortgages and homes. But first, let's hit the 10 biggest cities with the cheapest apartment rents. And what's interesting about this is how many of these cities, let's do a quick test out of 10, how many of them are you going to say yes to that you would want to live there? <clears throat> and give yourself a little reason. Houston, Texas, average rent is $1,349. It's a big area. I might want to live in Houston. or If I was 25 years old, I might live in Houston. But man, is it hot during the summer. <clears throat> They've got a lot of culture, um, Museum of Fine Arts, Space Centers, Houston Symphony. Pittsburgh, nope. Average rent's $1,322. Minneapolis-St. Paul, nope. Too much ice and snow for me. $1,317 is the average rent. Columbus, Ohio. I know some people who live in Columbus, and they say good things about it. Maybe. Cincinnati, Ohio. I hear nothing but strife come out of that city. Buffalo, New York. Nope. Too cold. People die. St. Louis. I hear there's some lovely parts of St. Louis to live in. Birmingham, Alabama, uh, too south for me. My parents were from Alabama, and I'm not saying they were hillybillies, but they. <clears throat> my mom thought she could get pregnant by sitting on a toilet seat when she was like 18. <laughs> oh, mom, I miss you. Tulsa, Oklahoma. <clears throat> nope. Oklahoma City. Nope. 
not a lot of desirable places with cheap, uh, the cheap rents don't create a lot of desirable places for me. How did you do on that test? Let's bring in Tony Mendez with BayAreaLoanSource.com, a show that can be heard here on KDOW today at 2 and tomorrow at 6 p.m. Tony, how are you? Good morning. Doing well. Good morning. Um, <clears throat> what do you think about a list of cities that have cheap rent? They all seem to have a many themes in common. They're either in very cold weather um, in areas that have seen shrinkage of jobs or in the South. Yeah, I think you put it well. It, it, they aren't as desirable as, let's say, for example, the Bay Area or maybe even a Salt Lake City or Phoenix. Some people like that dry weather and they don't like the, you know, the deep south, um, eastern portion of the United States. But, you know, I think it's all about migration. And I think that uh, we're going to continue seeing rent. Rents have actually been coming down a little bit um, in some of the you know big metropolitan areas. I think Oakland, San Francisco, um, they've been topping the list. So people have been kind of reevaluating where they want to go as far as rent. And we still have a you know work from home philosophy in some cases you know it's eased back a little bit so we might see places that aren't as desirable continue to see the bottom of the list because other places are kind of easing right now so Tony Mendez is my mortgage lender he's got a list of services that include conventional loans investor loans interest only loans private money hybrid private money first time home buyer programs second loans renovation loans reverse mortgages general reverse mortgages and much much more including construction loans let's talk about something you and I talked about yesterday in the late afternoon my property management company in North Carolina contacted me and said the renters out in March and I was like you know I know a lot of people in the bay area that want real estate as investment property but I've seen too many of them say things like, yeah, my mortgage is $4,500 and I charge $3,500 for rent. And I'm like, oof, oof. What's your thoughts on property management as a topic goes? Uh, I think it's a great topic. You know, real estate over many years, especially through you know, the, you know coming out of the Great Recession where – People are just buying as many properties as they can. We have investors that set goals like, I want to buy a property every year. So a lot of people yeah. got into real estate, but they didn't know what they were going to do, how they were going to do it. Were they going to get a property management company? Were they going to try to do it on their own uh, to save a little bit of money? I bet you more people today that are looking to buy investment property are going, oh, I'm going to do it on my own because I don't want to pay a property management company. But they may have never done it before. So um, it, it's not what we really advice to somebody who may be an amateur um, or even somebody who has a little bit of experience with property management companies and wants to flip over to self-management. It's a really tough call, uh, Rob, because it's, as you know, property management companies kind of, um, some are as bad as you can be. Um, and some can be really good where you, where you just never have to deal with the property. And that's really what you're looking for sure. out of a good property management company. So it's a tough decision. I've had a property in Raleigh, North Carolina for about 18 years. You and I went to Raleigh 18 years ago. We looked around, had a property, had a real estate agent. Then I found a property management company, probably the best decision I ever made because I think I would have sold it by now. I've had maybe five total tenants. Um, Some of them have been really long-term. Some of them have been one year and they're out. Um, But the property management company sends me emails like, um, I just got an email yesterday that said, you're charging $1,200 rent. The average rent's $1,800. The renters are, are due to leave in March. What do you want to do? I said, well, do they want to stay? Because then if we don't have to find a new 
person. That's great. Um, is the property in good condition? They're like, we'll find out. But they want to raise the rate. They want to raise the prices. And I'm reluctant to because I don't like change. And it's pretty amateurish of me. You know, I could be making an extra $7,500 a year easily um, if I were just to charge market rents. What do you think about the idea on on that concept of trusting the property management company to do the right thing by you? Well, first, if they're asking you to raise rents, they're, they're giving you good information. That's something that you should at least look at. And kind of put aside the fact that the more money that they that you charge for a tenant, the more money they make as well, because it's a percentage, usually 8 to 10% of the monthly rent. I pay 10%, but I have a really good property management company, and I, I haven't had to do anything, just like you. Um, so sometimes you want to trust their the gut instinct. But you said something that was really interesting, and that is, we don't know, you asked them what the condition of the property looks like, and the they said, we don't know. We'll find out. Uh, I had a property where I had that same situation where I had to go and spend $33,000. I had no idea that the Senate had, had destroyed the property. I wanted to raise rents, but if I did, they probably would have said, you got to fix the property up. So I actually spent $30,000 to fix the house and decided not to rent it and sell it instead, which was turned out to be, I think, a good idea because I hit it right at the peak of COVID. But... That's a tough one. Um, we run into a lot of clients that have rental properties. More often than not, they're not charging market rents because they have that same kind of, well, I don't want to mess with it. I don't want to kick out a tenant or I don't want them to get pissed off at me and, and break a toilet or, you know, whatever it might be. And, but a lot of tenants are, are leaving money on the table. We have one client that's charging $600 less a month in, than market rents and just because he likes them. Yeah, you're totally right on that. Um, I've seen more people go bankrupt trying to be landlords themselves than I've ever seen anyone go bankrupt investing or even bankrupt going after cryptocurrencies Um, because you still have that mortgage every single month. Whereas if you lose $10,000 in crypto, that's all you lose. Um, So I like professional property management and um, I, I, I think you can help people avoid bankruptcy. It's a really odd thing to say, but I, I think in the Bay Area, there's way too many amateur real estate tycoons. And, and I get it. You turn on the TV and you see Trump and he's got all these buildings and you're fired and you see uh, the flip it shows where they're reality shows. They're scripted. <laughs> they're not non-scripted. Um, and we kind of fall for it. it. It looks like an easy way for the average person who doesn't have a college degree to accumulate wealth. And on some levels, it is. But it's also a great way to go bankrupt as well. Thoughts? You know, it's interesting, too, is that when people budget for these transactions, they're, they're looking at a loan, they're looking at the, you know, what they call the PITI, principal interest tax insurance, the obligation on that house. They, they don't factor in that property management. They, they always look at the best numbers. And they also look at the best rents. So rents usually go up at a, at a nice pace. Uh, but they also go down in some cases. So you have to kind of budget that. And unfortunately, not everybody does it. Again, going back into somebody who has a low interest rate, a low purchase price, they can probably afford not to go uh, to market rents. But if you're buying a property today and you need market rents, to qualify, you have to budget that in. Otherwise, it's not going to pencil out, and maybe you should wait. I hear you. How can people find you, and where are you on the, the dial, per se? One minute. We do the show on two, uh, Thursday. Sorry, Wednesdays at 2 p.m., 
and we replays Thursday night at 6 p.m. But that's just our radio show. You can find us at BayAreaLoanSource.com. Um, we have a local Bay Area office here in Lafayette. Um, all the information is at BayAreaLoanSource.com. We also have Facebook and YouTube and LinkedIn. It's very easy to find us. Thanks very much. It's Tony Mendez. He's a longtime friend of mine, as well as my mortgage lender. I work with people like CFP Chad Burton, um, EP Wealth. He works with, I work with, I work with people like Tony Mendez. You can find him at BayAreaLoanSource.com. It's BayAreaLoanSource.com. He's got a list of services that's almost too long. Any type of loan you need, he can work with you on. Find him at BayAreaLoanSource.com. This interview featured on The Rob Black Show is brought to you by EP Wealth. Learn more at RobBlack.com. Roughly 30 years ago, I started working with the goal of ultimately creating wealth, starting a family. And I never wanted to say this, retiring. Not retiring on Social Security because I always heard that wasn't enough. I heard it was a safety net. So the whole theme of the show has really become about retirement in my mind. As I've already had the career, as I've had the family, I've checked some boxes along the way. Let's talk retirement. Joining me today, Stephanie Richmond. She's a regional director and certified financial planner with EP Wealth. Stephanie, I have a quick question for you. Um, My career has been on. Good morning. Um, My career has been on, light switch on. But at some point in time, it's going to be time to retire. I think we all see it happening, whether we see it dramatically in baseball and football athletes or what you and I do, working the day job for 20 to 30 years and then thinking about retirement. What do we need to know as a certified financial planner at EPL? What's your what's your take on this? What's your view? Well, thank you for asking, Rob, and good morning. Um, you know, uh, I think a lot of individuals and couples think retirement is about, you know, one moment you're working and one moment you're not, right? right. And one, one of the things I realized or I've learned over the years is that a lot of people are very, very nervous about that, right? They're, they're almost frightened by it because they don't know what's going to happen when the switch turns off. Right. So what I, what I talk to people about is, you know, um, do you, you know, what, what do you plan to do? I ask questions such as, you know, do you, are you looking to do something new? Um, or do you just want to stop and relax? Um, do you want to pursue a passion project? That type of thing. What are you dreaming about? Because it doesn't mean your life stops when you retire. Right. Many for some people living. Oh, go ahead. Oh, no, no. For some people, I think it does kind of stop. Um, and that's that's horrible. That's sad. My mom, when she got to a certain age, she just started watching television. But you're talking about something more exciting. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, the you know, the, the, the old definition of retirement is to depart and go away. But that's not the modern definition. Um, you know, so many people I meet are, are, you know, even taking a gap year to test retirement out these days. I have, I have one couple, um, that decided to spend three months in an Airbnb in four different cities to see where they wanted to live next. Right. And, you know, pretty cool. Right. And I have, I have another, I know I have another, um, client I'm working with right now who decided to take a year off to help their father, you know, as he, uh, you know, as his life transitions. And, you know, one of the most important things to keep in mind in looking at whatever is next, you know, whether it's the Airbnb, whether it's helping family members before you go back to work, um, whether it's just simply taking a year off to travel to test out 
what retirement might feel like, um, it's important to plan, right? And that's one of the things that I love to talk about with people. In fact, you know, I say, look, you know, just dream. You know, we all love to daydream and think about what's next, but very few of us put um, our plans on paper to test it out to see if it's going to work. And so I say dream. Dream the way you want to and don't edit yourself. And that's a, then let's apply some numbers to the equation. So how much is it going to cost you to do that? You know, and will it work? Can you still can you still maintain your lifestyle and lead you know lead the life you want? And through planning, we can figure that out. I you know it's something I love to do every day. So as a CFP, I don't know if your uh, job title is is well known by the average person, but yeah, you you deal with that big transition into retirement years and setting up a budget, setting up income streams. That's the thing that has me most concerned because the as an amateur, I'm not a CFP. Um, I've worked in the markets for many, many years, but all I know is that I, when I was 18 years old, I was like, I want $1 million so I could retire. And my goal was to retire on a beach. San Diego was probably in my head with a partner and we'd sell oranges on the beach. It was a joke, kind of. It worked on radio, kind of. But it was a goal and it was something I could have come to you and you could have laughed at me about. Um Triggering conversations with clients, that's kind of what this is about, the big transition. Um, the assumption of a retirement income plan by me was very naive, $1 million. What do you think it takes to retire in this day and age? Because it is a little different. And I, I love the ideas of using Airbnbs as uh, let's go check out this market. Let's go check out these hospitals and things like that. Mm-hmm. You know, that's a good question, Rob. And I will say, honestly, it's different for everybody. And yeah. that's really important to keep in mind, right? A million dollars, obviously, we know, especially with inflation, the way it was last year and still is this year, doesn't go as far as it once was. And, you know, very, very few people have pension income these days, right? So most of us are going to retire with Social Security, right? And at some point, you know, if you take a deep look at your Social Security statement, you'll find, right, that it's, it looks like the Social Security Benefit Act is actually going to go down somewhere, you know, in the 2030s. And so um, retiring on Social Security is not going to be enough, right? So you've got to be what you need to look at and what I can help you with, with what any certified financial planner can help you with is, you know, how do you fill the gap between your Social Security and maybe you have some rental income or something and what you need to spend, right? Or maybe you you know, do you need to get a part-time job to help fill the gap? So again, what you have in the bank is going to be, what you need to have in the bank is going to be different for everybody. But again, through planning, we can figure that out. And I have a great story of um, uh, um, an individual I work with right now. And it's actually, it's the gentleman who decided to take the gap year to help his father. Okay. And he said, well, can I just retire? And, uh, and I said, well, I don't know. Let's check it out. And so he finally sat down to look at his expenses and what it would cost. And I mean, he's 56 years old, so he's young, right? And uh, we put pen to paper and what we realized is yes, he could take the gap year, but he'd have to change his lifestyle a little bit to fully retire. So we were able to back test, hey, you know, if you go back to work and earn X dollars for just three years, right? You'll mm-hmm. actually be able to make it and, and you can do it with ease. You know, you don't have to go back to the grind you were working once working in. That's pretty very excited cool. about that. Very cool. I want to say this, and you're going to laugh when I say this. So we have got about two minutes left, so we got to be tight. 
Um, you're kind of more of a psychologist or a priest when it comes to talking with clients and talking about like, this is what it could look like and getting them to confess and being honest with you financially speaking. Is that fair to say that the relationship is super important to have with the CFP where you trust each other? Completely, completely. I mean, it's really important for, for, you know, for, for me to be honest and, and ask the right questions. Mm-hmm. And it, it is really, I mean, it's so satisfying for me when, you know, a client, my clients actually are honest on the other side too. And I do it, you know, I consider it coaching, right? Um, you can call me a psychologist, you can call me a coach, but either way, um, you know, it, we get to know each other really deeply through this process and trust is a really big element in it. Thanks very much. It's all about maintaining the lifestyle desires, income. We've got about 30 seconds, Stephanie. Is there any last thoughts on, you know, should people be writing stuff down? Should they be, uh, you know, figuring out five years left, 10 years left of working? What should people be doing as they approach this transition? Well, first off, yes, I I love what you said. I would absolutely write your dreams down. And then, you know, as you're going to, you know, as you're, as you're going through your days, you know, start putting pen to paper and say, where will I be? Right. How much, you know, what will I spend? What do I want to do when I'm there? And um, collect your thoughts and then bring them to your planner and we can help you check out whether you're going to be able to live that dream. You're going to be hearing a lot more of Stephanie Richmond on this show. She's regional director and certified financial planner with EP Wealth. Stephanie Richmond. Thanks very much. For more information about EP Wealth, visit robblack.com. That's robblack.com. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.